I'm going to read to you a portion of a psalm. I'm going to put it up on screen. And when I do, I want you to do a part with me out loud. So you're going to see what it is in just a sec. It's going to become obvious because it's pretty easy. And in, in musical circles, they call this antiphonally. So I will sing or say one part. You will say the other part. We'll go back and forth. And it starts like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Each time I get to his mercy endures forever, I want you to say it with me. Okay? Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Good. Good, good job. Now, what I want you to do, it's going to be hard, because it's going to be like rote. But I don't want you to do it like it's just something because I'm asking you to do it. I want you to think on God's mercy and say it like you mean it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by... We got it? There he is. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And he brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. You know, there's about 150 psalms. But this one is special. It was chanted, sung, read every day in the Holy Temple in ancient Israel. Every day. Famous Bible commentator John Gill, he's well known for including ancient Jewish thought in his commentary. And that's where I got that data from. In fact, though, it didn't just start with the building of the temple. Before there was even a temple, when King David started to get everything ready and appointed the Levites and the singers, and when they had a place of worship that wasn't the temple, even at that point, they were saying this thing. Well, David wrote most of the Psalms. Not all of them. He wrote most of them. I don't know if he wrote this one or not, but the verbiage from this Psalm was already being used before the Psalms were put together. 1 Chronicles 16.4 says, David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And then down in verse 41 it says, And with them, the rest who were chosen, who are designated by name, to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. I just find it fascinating that out of all the Psalms and everything that could be said in the holiest place on the planet, that these are the words 
that were chosen. Give thanks to God, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then King Solomon actually built the temple, and we read about that. And when all the children saw how the fire came down, the children of Israel, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshipped, and they praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Years pass, another king arises, his name is Jehoshaphat. We read what he did, 2 Chronicles 20. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Not only was it in the place of worship, but it even preceded the, it was the battle cry. God's mercy endures forever. That same guy, John Gill, the one I was telling you about, he said this about the, this psalm here. He said, it's the burden of the song and the design of it is to show that all blessings of every kind flow from the grace, goodness, and mercy of God, which is constant and perpetual and to impress a sense of it upon the minds of men. One famous rabbi said, it's an exhortation to the children of God in the days of the Messiah to praise the Lord. You know, we are in the start of the days of the Messiah. He's come. Those launched the days of Messiah. Imagine you meet a pagan, the kind of pagan who's never heard about the God of, it, of the Bible, and he asks you, tell me about your God. What would you say? Chances are you'd, say, you'd start off saying, well, he made everything. We don't believe in lots of little gods. We believe there's just one great God who created everything. And he's in charge of everything. He's all-powerful. And then you'd probably start talking about sin and start talking about Jesus, how Jesus died for our sins, and we have to believe in Jesus and turn from our sins to be born again. But chances are, if you're like me, you would have never thought to say, and he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And yet, that's what they lead with here. And so maybe we need to revamp what's at the chart of the God list. Yes, he's all-powerful, definitely. And yes, he's holy. And yes, there's sin. But God is good. And it's not just that he's good, but his mercy endures forever. Well, we're coming into the Easter and Passover season. And I had never noticed this before. But this psalm is a Passover psalm. So giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. It says to him, I'm reading, I said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them. For his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. The Egypt story, the Passover story, it's like the, the main Jewish story in the whole Bible. Moses is the main man, and the Passover is the main story. This is an, an amazing story if you think about it. God had birthed the people in the incubator that was Egypt. They went in 70 people. They came out millions. 
And the way they came out wasn't with a miracle or two. It was with a cascade of miracles that the entire world was talking about, or at least that part of the world. Amazing story that people are still talking about to this very day. And then there was another great man, Jesus, Jewish man. And in John chapter 1, it compares Moses with Jesus. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. And then when you get into the book of Hebrews, again, it compares Jesus with Moses. Like the man who built the house is greater than the house itself. Moses built the house. Jesus is greater than the house itself. And it's constantly comparing Moses and Jesus. I'm trying to impress upon you the importance and the significance of Passover. And yet, tied to that most important of all stories is this psalm, before it was even a psalm, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So I'm going to send you home with four things this morning. Four things you have to know before you leave this morning. First one, God is good. And we're going to talk about it. Second one, God is merciful. And the third one's related, his mercy endures forever. And then the fourth one is a consequence of the top three, giving thanks. So we'll go through those four things and then we'll be done. The first one, God is good. Psalm 136 says God is good because look at all the things he did for Israel. God has blessed Israel. What other people have ever been rescued out of their nation with all sorts of miracles and wonders? None. So God is good. In fact, as another psalm says, truly God is good to Israel. The, the nation of Israel has had more blessings from God off the charts than any other nation. You start thinking about all the miracles in the Bible, and they're all going to be centered around Israel. Oh, God is good to Israel. God loves the, the Jewish nation. But God isn't just good to Israel. God loves the entire world. God sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I want you to... Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So, I want you to appreciate what the Scripture is really trying to tell us. Do this with me. Gift from God. Every breath you take is a gift from God. And we don't even think about it. We breathe all day. Or how about this? Every one of those. It's not just like God wound up your clock and then let you go. God determines every breath you'll take and gives it to you. And he determines every beat of your heart and gives it to you. It's a gift from God. And that's just, you're sleeping. You're not even paying attention to it. And he's giving you the gift. By the way, where are you sleeping? If you're like me, you're sleeping in a nice soft bed in a nice cool house in the summer, a nice warm house in the winter. Rain's not coming in, the wind's not coming in. Most of the rattlesnakes and spiders don't get in. Some of them spiders get in. And then you wake up, and if you're like me, you jump into a shower with hot and cold running water, and then you walk downstairs, and you look at the 3,000 things you have in your refrigerator and cabinet, try to figure out which one you want to eat today. 
because they're all boring you now. And then you hop into your nice little car and drive off to a job that God gave you. God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. God is good. Sometimes bad things happen. In fact, oftentimes bad things happen. And some people would say that kind of detracts from God's goodness. If God is so good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world, Steve? Well, let's rephrase that. If God isn't good, what would you expect the world to be like? Take God out of the picture and just leave Satan in the picture. Wouldn't this room be filled with demons poking you with pitchforks and torturing you all day? Why aren't they? Because God is good. So yeah, but why is there war in the Middle East? Because there's a bunch of idiots in the Middle East. Right? Everywhere there's war, there's a bunch of idiots. That, I'm not saying that everybody who fights in war is an idiot. We went to World War II to kill idiots. We weren't the idiots. Sometimes you've got to kill idiots. I'm not saying everybody who fights in war is an idiot, but most wars are started by idiots. It's not because of God, but the question we should be asking is, why isn't there more war? You know, right now, there are several nations that hate us, and they got nuclear weapons. Why haven't they shipped them over? Hezbollah, which is the pr primary terrorist around Israel, has thousands of rockets aimed at Israel right now. Why haven't they pressed the button? We always talk about the bad things and question whether God is good. Why don't we question the, do it in reverse? Why aren't there more bad things? Shouldn't there be more bad things? Yeah. We've got a government. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I better stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> Let's just say there could be a lot more bad things. But because of God's goodness, there are not more bad things. Why doesn't he stop all bad things? He cannot. And it has nothing to do with his ability, his strength, or his holiness. It has to do with human free will. I'm going to give you an illustration here. You caught that one over there? You couldn't catch that one? That's okay. What if I had misfired and hit Mark in the eye? Would that have been God's fault? Of course not. But it would have been a bad thing that happened. So why would we blame God for that? And you think of almost anything that's bad in the world, it's similar. It's one man making a choice, or a bunch of people making a choice, and its consequences, and the ripple effect is bad things. That wouldn't have been God's fault. Now, I suppose you could say, well, what if there was a world where God never let anything bad happen? So I go over to Mark. Mark, you're going to be my, my object lesson. And just want you to do a really small thing for me. Close your eyes. This won't hurt much. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Why did I beat Mark in the head? Just because he was sitting there and I could. There are people who walk down the street and hit you in the head with a bat and steal your wallet. Right? Why doesn't God stop them? If God stopped your free will, then you wouldn't be a human being. You'd be a robot. You have to have the freedom to do good or bad in order to be a human. But see, God doesn't make anybody 
bap anybody in the head with a bat. In fact, he tells them not to do that. He says that's bad. He says, don't steal from people. That's bad. Don't do that. Don't drive drunk. That's bad. Don't do that. Don't get drunk. That's bad. Don't do that. But we do those things. Don't sleep around. That's bad. Don't do that. STD epidemic. AIDS. All oh, the people dying from AIDS. We should get a cure for AIDS. There's already a cure for AIDS. Read the Bible. It said, don't sleep around. We'll stop that sucker in a generation. So the problem isn't God. The problem is us and our free will. God is good. Us, eh, not so much. That's the first thing. God is good. Second thing is God is merciful. And this is interesting. I looked up the, her, the Hebrew word for, for God's mercy, and it's this word here. Chesed. Hey, say that with me. Hey, I'm impressed. Some of you got the down. Chesed. Chesed. Yeah, Hebrew is an interesting language. They do it so easily, like it's not hard. And, I, you know, I think about these. I think, okay, let's just say there was never a language on the planet before, and you got to speak one. Come up with this one. <laughs> Isn't that hard to do? It's hard. Wouldn't you want your language to be easier and roll off the tongue? Roll off the tongue? I don't know. So this word chesed, I looked it up in the lexicon, and the first thing it said was goodness. But wait a minute, we've already looked at goodness, and that was a different Hebrew word. So why is there another Hebrew word used in the same context for the word mercy you could translate it, God is good and his goodness lasts forever. God is good and his mercy lasts forever. It could go either way. So I'm trying to think why this word chesed here. What does it mean in addition to goodness? It, does, it means kindness. It means faithfulness. But that still didn't answer my question. Why this word here? What does it really mean? So I did something I don't often do. But every once in a while, I went and looked at the ancient origins of the Hebrew word. You know, Hebrew initially was written with pictures, not letters. And the pictures meant something. And even though you could read it, you understood the origins of the word based on the pictures. So I looked up the picture for this, the picture for this, and the picture for this to see if it might help me understand the word a little better. This is called Paleo-Hebrew. This is the first Hebrew before the Hebrew that we have nowadays. And that first letter, the chet sound, this is what it looks like. It's not a Roman numeral three so much as, as a tent, a wall. Or it, it also means, it means tent, it means wall, and it means separation. And I can see how a wall can mean separation. But I guess I can see how a tent means separation too. But a tent can also be a shelter. So it made me think, okay, it, it's a tent. It's a wall. It's a separation. And the next letter was Dalit, this one here. Uh, Samech, probably. Pardon me, Samech. And it looks like an antenna to us, an old UHF aerial or something. But that was a hand on a staff. That's what that picture represented. And it meant support or a prop. So you use a walking stick or cane. 
That was the idea, the hand on the staff. So we've got the tent, the wall, the separation, the hand on the staff, which means support, prop. And then we have the next one, which is Dalit. And Dalit is the tent door. So you can see this is one of those little pieces right there, I guess. It's the tent door. And it also means pathway. OK, so the origins of this word are tent, wall, separation, hand on staff, support, prop, tent, door, pathway. How does that help me understand the word chesed? God is our shelter and a wall to protect us. He is a hand on a staff. He is our support, and he keeps us propped up. He is our tent, our shelter, and the door, and our pathway. God guides us. Just like Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So that's what chesed means. <laughs> I could just say, oh, it means goodness or mercy. But it doesn't help us understand the richness of the word. Now you understand what chesed means. And there's just not one word for it in any language, as far as I know. So to sum it, sum it up, uh, God's mercy also refers to his goodness. However, we see in the root of the word that God is our shelter and protector. He's our support, and he guides our path. He guides and he protects. So I told you there would be four things. Uh, God is good. We looked at that. God is merciful. We just finished looking at, at that. The third thing is his mercy endures forever. That word forever kind of threw me off. Because when we read through the psalm, it said he drowned the oppressors in the Red Sea for his mercy endures forever. Well, sure, that's from the Jewish perspective. But what about the Egyptian perspective? <laughs> They're the ones getting drowned in the Red Sea. I'm sure they weren't thinking his mercy was enduring forever at that exact moment. So I had to think about it. What's the full picture of this concept of his mercy enduring forever when we know he judges people and sends them to hell? So in giving it some thought, I, th I found three aspects of, it, of this concept of God's mercy enduring forever. Here's the first aspect. His mercy endures forever because it's been poured out on man since the beginning. Ever since Adam and Eve, God started with his mercy. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God could have squashed them and been done with it. They chose to obey Satan rather than God. Set up the whole sin thing. But God had mercy. And then they had children, and one of them killed the other one. Cain kills Abel. And God gives mercy to Cain. And he starts teaching humanity about right from wrong. So as long as there's been humans, there's been God's mercy. So in that respect, God's mercy endures forever. Secondly, his mercy endures forever because it's been poured out time and again on a sinful and rebellious people. Time and time and again. Time and time and again. We often wonder why God allows ISIS to kill so many wonderful and innocent people. And it troubles us. And it should trouble us. Not that God's allowing it, but that it's evil happening. Evil is a bad thing and it should trouble us. But let me ask you, how many babies has America killed through abortion? 
And how many countries have we pressured into legalizing abortion? So, how can we get mad at ISIS for killing a few paltry thousands of people when we've killed tens of millions of babies? See, we just don't look at things right. If we should be mad at anybody, we should be mad at us. We've got so much blood on our hands. Not us. We're not doing it. I understand that. But still, it's our nation doing it. It's not a good thing. But God is being merciful. He's being merciful to us as a nation. He's being merciful to the people in the Middle East. It's harsh reality. Because when you're merciful to, to one, it oftentimes results in the pain to another. What are you going to do? Thirdly, his mercy endures forever because those he redeems are redeemed forever. When you go to heaven, you're not going to have a coupon that expires in 300 years. This good for one admission to heaven, but expires in the year 3030. There is no expiration date to heaven. You're going to get in and you're in forever. It's going to no pain, no sorrow forever. So what we're going through now is very unpleasant, but it's like a drop in the bucket in the light of forever. And God uses this discomfort on this planet to get our attention and to get as many people as possible Jesus-focused. And that's what we need to be about while we're waiting for his return, getting as many people as possible Jesus-focused. So God is good. God is merciful. God's mercy endures forever. And these three things lead to the fourth, the giving of thanks. Just as the psalm says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The Apostle Paul. So it started with David, went through the holy temple, all the way up through all the kings, into the age of Messiah, according to that one rabbi, to our very day, according to the Apostle Paul, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Messiah Jesus. So, I don't know how many of you have the handouts, but on the back, it says, what are you thankful for? And there's some blank spots that you can start filling those in. And I'd encourage you to do so. Take it home, fill it out. And I, I started you off this morning with the easy ones. Your breath, your heartbeat, your warm bed, your, your uh, food. There's so much to give thanks for. And again, I'm not going to go home and force you to do this. But the scripture says one of our primary duties as godly people is to give thanks to the Lord. And I'm just trying to help you do that. For he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Those of you who are getting baptized, if you're not already in the back, work your way towards the back. Now remember, after church, we're going to be eating together in the bistro. Everybody's invited. And then some of us will be going off to see that movie at uh, 3.50. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, you truly are good, and your mercy does endure forever. And I pray that not only would you help us to give thanks, 
but help us to be givers of mercy also, to emulate you, to live like you would have us live, that people might know we're your disciples by our love one for another. Teach us to be purveyors of mercy, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.